if you have someone that makes you know thirty or forty thousand dollars a year to, at a job, which is sort of sub average, and they put three to five thousand dollars a year into their IRA and they invest it in a broadly diversified way in in, in some kind of global equity portfolio, they're going to be fine. There's nothing wrong with that. The thing that I want to try to stimulate or try to inspire is that while someone's doing that, if they want more, the path to more is actually having a side gig and starting something. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reid Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug with the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, the pleasure of speaking with Jonathan Dio. Jonathan is an expert financial advisor, best-selling author, and angel investor. Jonathan is also the founder of Mindful Money, where he uses his passion to educate others on the benefits of goal-focused and planning-driven wealth management tips to help people enjoy a better financial outcomes and a more fulfilling life. He also just told me that he was a, a recent speaker on a TED Talk, which I'm super pumped and excited to talk to him about. But enough of me, let's get him out here. G'day, Jonathan. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? I'm so excited to be here, Reid. Thanks. Mate, to, to kick us all off, I, I asked the question to all my guests is, uh, rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid. So I guess as a kid, there's, there's sort of two or three things you want to talk about when someone asks that kind of question. And, and uh, as a kid, the very first dollar I made was, you know, I purchased bubble gum and I, I went, this is probably third or fourth grade. Um, you know, this wasn't serious money, uh, but I went to school with my thing of bubble gum and my buddy said, Hey, you know, I'd, I'd like, uh, can I have a piece? And I was like, yeah, it'll be a quarter. So it cost me five cents or a quarter. Maybe I don't remember to buy a pack of bubble gum and I could sell a piece for a quarter at school. So that's my first dollar was, um, I guess you call it, uh, I imported and, and, uh, marked up a piece of bubble gum. <laughs> well, I love it. And, and so 
How did you grow up with money? Was that a why were your parents around to tell you the, the value of a dollar? No, I mean it's so the the better le- the better money lesson was actually learned when um, my dad said we had this we had this uh, uh, property and on this property was think about like a I don't know how big it was maybe 50, 60, 70 square foot uh, chicken coop. Uh, and the best money lesson I learned probably from my parents among many, they have lots of great lessons, but this chicken coop, you know, I was, I was you know, 16, 16 years old, wanted to go to my junior prom. I uh, didn't have any money. You know, I, I've been working for a few years at allied band lines and, but, but my uh, you know, that income had to get saved. The lesson was you have to save your money. So I saved my money. That was college money. So I couldn't touch that. My dad said, okay, you want to go to prom? I've got this chicken coop that I got to rip out and it's going to take, you know, I can hire someone to do it. I can probably pay them to do it. And he said, Jonathan, what would you charge me to rip it out? And I gave him some number and the number was, I don't know, four or $500. It took me, it, this was a, if you think about, uh, uh, you know, the old chicken wire on top of wood with stucco on it, it took me four months of hard labor wow. to get this thing taken out. So I totally mispriced it. I got my 500 bucks. I got the money I needed for prom. Um, but you know, the lesson learned is you really got to think about the project before you price the project. <laughs> totally taken advantage <laughs> well, of by my parents. <laughs> well, but it, it taught you the lesson, a value of a dollar. And you also were able to roll up the sleeves and get your hands dirty, right? And you, I still remember to this day doing manual labor in high school summers. And my dad always telling me, work on your studies because the fact is you don't want to be on backbreaking work for the rest of your life. And, and it really rang true that I was just like, yeah, those hot summers, I was, I was building pools or something. And it was the same sort of thing, like just manual labor in the heat, bending over and just giving it your all and being completely done by the end of the day by working a 12 hour shift and just going, yeah, I'm going to focus on my studies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, my first, my first actual job was at allied van lines and, and I was 12. So I wasn't allowed to load boxes yet, but you know, I worked in moving from 12 through high school and through the first three summers of college. And that's, you know, that's 10, 12 hour days, lifting boxes, humping upstairs with couches and pianos. And just, we, I mean, it's, it's hard, 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 mm. hard work for, I guess, 12 years of my life, you know, growing up. So tell me how, walk us through now the journey that what you've got to today, like where did the entrepreneurial spirit come from? Did you go to college? You went into the corporate world. You said, I'm getting sick of it. What happened? Where, where, where did it all go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> wrong or right. As the wrong case or right. Yeah, exactly. So I think my dad, my dad actually uh, instilled in us this, like you said, like the value of the dollar from that, from that little project of the, of the chicken coop, but just, you know, growing up, we didn't have much. So, you know, if you wanted to go to, you know, the soccer tournament or you wanted to go to the baseball tournament or the, or the boy Scouts camping trip or the church trip or whatever you had to, I had to go door to door and sell sandwiches or sell chocolate bars or, you know, work the car wash or so my entire life growing up, I had to earn my way to everything that we did. Uh, and, uh, that, that means you got to get told no an awful lot. And he always said, Hey, Mm -hmm. this whole, this whole process of learning about how to sell a sandwich door to door. Like, and we did, I did that all throughout my neighborhood, all throughout my city. I would go door to door and sell these sandwiches. And then two months later, I'd come and deliver the sandwiches. I'd collect some money. And that would be how I would go to my church trip or how do I go to my, my soccer trip. Um, and, uh, so that's kind of, it's kind of an applied entrepreneurialism right there. So somebody else 
said, here's the tool, here's the thing you're going to sell, go sell it. Um, and my dad would kind of, the first time out, he'd walk around the rock around the neighborhood with me, but then he'd set me on my own and I'd have to go and do it. So the idea of creating a revenue stream out of my own effort, that has always been part of my life. And I went to college and I studied finance for about a year and a half until I just got bored to death of it. I couldn't stand it anymore. The, the, the academics of it was just not what I wanted. So I started studying philosophy and religious studies and, and you know, meditation and, and comparative religion. And, and I loved it. And so I spent seven or eight years doing that before finally saying, okay, uh, I need to go earn a living. And then at that point, I was a dropout without a master's. I didn't get my master's in, in religious studies or in Buddhist, Buddhist studies. So what was I going to do? I had to do something in business. I had to do something I could do with sales. And Dean Witter would basically hire you if you could fog a mirror. And so I, I was, you know, I was really, really good at fogging the mirror. So they hired me and I did sales for Dean Witter for a couple of years. And I, I built a couple financial practices, you know, selling product uh, and ultimately left the Wall Street firms because I just realized that you can't really serve the end client. And maybe things have changed. I don't think they have, but maybe they've changed a little bit. Um, uh, in terms of like a Merrill Lynch or a Morgan Stanley or one of these really, really big firms, you have, you have two bosses, like your boss tells you, you got to sell some widgets. Um, and the widgets, they kind of tell you, these are the widgets you got to sell. Uh, and about, we're talking 1999 into 2000, you know, the world fell apart, the dot-com, like the first, the first time in my career, the world fell apart. Uh, I had a manager who said, okay, Jonathan, we need you to produce more revenue why don't you start selling A shares or B share mutual funds or annuities? And I was like, I, I can't, I just can't, I can't do it. So I left and that's the stimulus to start my own, to start my own practice. And that happened. I ultimately left in 2001 uh, and I took six clients with me and I said, ask those six clients, you know, okay, I'm going to go independent. Um, I'm going to start my own firm. What do you guys want out of the firm? And that is actually what started the planning, goal-focused, planning-driven. They wanted more planning and they wanted more education. They wanted us to communicate more. And so we just, I started teaching about finance 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and, and just uh, love it. And that's, they wanted it. It's something I could do and something I get excited about. I love talking about building wealth and investing and, and, and how to plan for your future. And so it just, it just fit perfectly. And that, that's how we got started. Awesome. Well, it sounds like an incredible journey. And actually, just before this show, I just recorded another show with some other financial advisors, but more pivoting away from the Wall Street worlds and the widgets that you speak about and more thinking about, about the education in the fact to empower people to sort of be their own financial advisors, so to speak, to go place their money in alternative assets outside of what Wall Street is telling everyone to, to, to invest in. And I think that ultimately in around the education piece and the teaching piece is super important because if without it, people are going in blind, right? And, and it's, it feels for any person who's got a spine, you know, taking their money and them not understanding what you're doing with it sort of defeats the purpose, I think. And you don't, you're not going to get yourself out of a job, but you just, making sure that they're knowing that they're making the right decision and ultimately you educating them about that will make sure that they just love everything you do and you know the, the, the opportunities that they offer in front of you. So I think it's super important to, to lead with that as a business owner in order to, to, to bring in more clients. So, so with that being said, what do you teach on now? Like have, has your teachings changed over the years or is it st you know, typically stayed, you know, pretty much the same? It's a, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, so so just to just to put this in context, uh, I think Cerulli 
SIFMA, which is a, an industry organization in Cerulean, just did a study. And in the study, they said that, you know, in, in the realm of people who have between $100,000 and a million dollars, 75, three quarters of them have advisors. Mm-hmm. And of, of those three quarters that have advisors, someone like me, um, uh, 77 or maybe it was 80, 77, 80% would actually recommend their advisors. Only 1% would say, said specifically, nah, I wouldn't go down this path. Like 77 or 80% of these people saw value in having a human um, help them through this whole process. Now, what does that mean? I don't, I don't think it means that, um, that their advisors help them make better investment decisions necessarily. I think what it means is their advisors get to know them, understand what their hopes and dreams and goals are, and help them reach those hopes and dreams and goals. And now for me, education plays a huge part of that. And the thing, the only thing that we've actually done differently today, or we're starting to do differently today than we've done in the past, is we're refocusing on the next generation. So instead of just educating um, our clients, which we do on a very regular basis consistently, we're actually saying to our clients, you know what, you're pretty set. The issue is one of transitioning wealth to the next generation. And how do we prepare them to be stewards for their kids and for the next generation and for their communities? You know, this is why we say mindful money. You know, what does it mean to be mindful about money? Um, And I think that there's a certain character uh, of somebody who has the capacity to develop wealth and protect wealth between generations. And part of that character is learning about financial markets. Uh, And so we're actually kicking off, I think it's July 16th, we have our first, we have our first episode, we're actually saying to our clients, send us your kids, we're going to start this educational program, we're starting off with this, uh, with the concept of how do you envision a future? And what are the, what are the psychological aspects of money? And how do you prepare to carry those psychologies into the future? And how do you think about that in the context of right now, I want my new iPhone, you know, how do you, how do you work around that and think about what well, what might I want 50 years from now? How do you open up the next generation to that to that thought process? How are you working with, you know, there's obviously people with money, right? And that's, it's, it's all well and good to help then the next generation. And that makes it easier. How, what are you trying to use this platform that you're building for the people who have never even thought about getting an advisor in their life because they just go, I don't even have enough money to pay them to give them the advice. How, how are you working in that space? Because I know I've had a lot of people in this show talking about that space a lot. This whole show is about creating wealth from, you know, the, the alternative investments. So how, how is your philosophy in and around mindful money supporting that at all, if at any? Oh, yeah, totally. I, I, I love this. Great question. So I've been, one of the differences between me and many of my peers, and this, it makes sense. There's an economic reason for this. Most advisors are trained from the moment that they enter the world of offering advice for money. They're trained to consistently move up market. Okay. That means, uh, more clients, obviously, but wealthier clients. Uh, and that's, that's great uh, as far as it goes, because you can help some people. You, do, you can do amazing work with a family that has money. No question about it, not, not, not judging that. However, if we all move up market, we can't, we're not gonna stimulate the clients of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And we're not gonna produce and support and help our communities to be better at managing their own monies. And so we've, at every step of the way for the last 20 years, I've consistently reached back down market and tried to figure out a way to support people that will never be my clients. So in 2017, actually starting in 2008, 
I started writing a book and my book, it's uh, mindful money. You know, it's uh, simple practices for reaching your financial goals and increasing your happiness dividend. The point of the book is actually there's an exercise at the end of every chapter. And if you go through and do those exercises at the end of the book, you have a basic financial plan, which means you've got some goals written down. You understand your financial values. You understand the parts and the things that, that Wall Street and the media tells us that you should probably ignore. You understand the things you should do. You have some behaviors you're supposed to employ so that you, you can do the things to create some success for yourself. So that book, that book was published in 2017 um, and it's out there. You can get that on Amazon. That's great. But what I've heard, and I've asked many, many, many people that have read the book, hey, Jonathan, great book, loved it. I loved your philosophy, great. I say, hey, do you do the exercises? They go, nah, not really. So, <laughs> so obviously that, that didn't have the effect that I wanted it to have. So we are in the process right now, uh, and I just literally, before I got on the call, I signed a contract with, uh, with somebody that's gonna help me produce a course that does the same thing, that actually walks them through step-by-step step the process of creating their own financial plan so they don't have to have an advisor. Because we have, I, gotta, I gotta face it that not everyone's gonna be appropriate for an advice. A lot of people have mm -hmm. lots of choices. They can choose, you know what, I'm gonna have a digital advisor. I'm gonna have a live advisor. Hey, I'm gonna do this myself. My spouse and I are gonna work on this together. But the education is the thing that will keep them from hurting themselves. So we're creating these tools that can help people educate themselves, build their own financial plans without an advisor. And I just absolutely believe that some people will want to be our clients anyways. They'll want right. to actually hire an advisor. And that's what the Cerulli study says is some people just want to have, they don't want to do it themselves. They want to hire an advisor. And that's what we are is we're a service business. We're not brilliant. I'm not going to, I'm not going to outperform somebody. That's not possible. No one can predict the future, but I am going to be able to be the person that can help walk somebody through it if they want to hire us but everyone needs the education. Everyone needs the basics, understands how economics works, understands that you gotta make trade-offs. You know, the thing that I keep reading more and more about is, is and this, this I hope we get into, is, is there's a huge benefit in starting your own business, but there's so many people, so few people doing it these days. Mm. And now that we're in this coronavirus period, there's fewer and fewer, fewer and fewer people doing it. I'm hoping that there's a lot of people making plans for their own businesses or thinking about it or, or what is the thing that I could do with my own business when this, when things open back up again and, and getting starting on those things, because those people will actually be very successful. Yeah. I think the, if you take, it's funny having these back to back shows, I literally just spoke about how the way in which we've been taught to spend money in traditional mutual funds, 401ks, a stock market is really a phenomenon coming out of the last century, right? It's not, it hasn't been around for ions or decades, also a century, millennia, I should say. Prior to that, we all were our own entrepreneurs and own business owners. And it's now coming the swinging, I feel at least when I'm interviewing the different you know, entrepreneurs and business owners and people who, who have struggled and, and realize it isn't what we've been told in school and what we've been told by our dads and our grandparents isn't the way that necessarily it will create the fastest track to living. A, you, you spoke about what I wrote it down here, your happiness dividend. And, and that comes from working a crappy job and thinking you've got to put your money in your 401k and you're going to retire at some point when you're 70, right? In 40 or 50 years time, which seems for the young gen younger generation seems an, a millennia away. So I think the whole idea of shifting that around how you make money and where you make it and starting your own business is so important to the today's conversation 
when people are struggling so much through, you know, wage growth isn't going anywhere. You know, the, the opportunities, AI has taken away a lot of um, jobs from middle America, you know, globalization to some point. But this is only going to go in one direction and you have to be in front of the wave and, and being financially literate is so much so important to establishing the foundations in order for you to go off and create those decisions if you ultimately want to go and create your own business because not everyone will want to and, and those people need to also have a different piece of advice and a different foundational footing to launch off in order to make sure that they are having a, a happiness dividend. So, um, but, but, but talk, but talk to me about your philosophy on that, because I just, I just ranted on for a little bit of time about my perspective, but what do you, how do you think about the, the lack of people make creating a businesses these days? So I, I think at all times, at all times in history, that lack of people creating businesses, is, it's always been there. Like there, we've always been, entrepreneurs have always been in the minority. Um, and there's a reason for that. You know, entrepreneurship is incredibly difficult and 90 something percent of entrepreneurs fail. Uh, and then they try again and they fail again. And it's, it's very, very, very hard. Uh, and any kind of business you run, you could be a carpet cleaner or a painter, or you could do what I do, or you could be a real estate investor. What ends up happening is it takes you away from lots of other things in your life. So it's, it's flipping hard. It's hard to do. So mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. not trying to create, I'm not trying to say that everybody has to have their own business. I have lots of great friends who have worked with great companies and they have great 401ks and they invest in the stock market and they will be just fine. That's a fine way to go. If, if you have someone that makes, you know, 30 or $40,000 a year to, at a job, which is sort of sub average, and they put three to $5,000 a year into their IRA and they invest it in a broadly diversified way in, in, in some kind of global equity portfolio, they're going to be fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, the thing that I wanna, I wanna um, try to stimulate or try to inspire is that while someone's doing that, if they want more, the path to more is actually having a side gig and starting something to get, and, and right now more than ever in history, there is, this, this show, your show is actually a perfect example of this. There are so many opportunities to check in with somebody who interviews people on a regular basis about how to start something, how to do something, how to create a podcast, how to create a blog, how to, how to make money with your blog. There's so many opportunities out there to, with no money, with, with very little expertise to create something that you find your, uh, Seth Godin would call, you'd find your tribe and that tribe would follow you. That creates a revenue opportunity for you. You may have to create something that is saleable, a product or something. You may have to speak from, speak from a stage. You may have to hold a summit. You may have to create a masterclass. There's all kinds of things you can do, but you can create opportunity now that you've never been able to do before. The internet gives us huge opportunities. And if you like, you know, classifying butterflies or you like <laughs> mu mu mushroom, you know, hunting, or if you like bird watching, you can find a group of people that also like those things and you can create some kind of a minor income out of it. And once you have the, oh, one foot in the door, just one little thing, you can actually create more and grow that while you're maintaining your job that pays you your $30,000 a year that helps you put money in your IRA and, and support your 401k and maybe do some savings. Do the other thing. The challenge, and this is and this is the big lesson growing up, you know, Jonathan. If you want to go to your, you want to go to your soccer tournament, you got to take these four hundred sandwiches and you got to go door to door and sell them. Okay, that means I got to talk to twelve hundred people. Eight hundred of them are going to say no. Four hundred of them are going to say yes. 
that's hard. So how do you, how do you abuse yourself and work really, really hard both at your job and then come home and create an income stream at this other project or, or side gig or, or potential business that you have? If you work eight, nine hours at your job, you work eight, nine hours on your side gig, you can still sleep and eat in the middle there and you can create something. But that's what it takes to create something. Um, now, I, I happen to, a lot of my clients are, are folks in the, uh, in the technology world. Um, and so they work at Silicon Valley, they work at Google, they work at Apple, they work at Uber, they work at Lyft, you know. You can go that path, work for a fantastic company, you know, and get paid an incredible wage, $200,000, $300,000 a year. You can contribute twenty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 to your 401k and you'll be fine. That's fantastic. You probably don't have to do the second, secondary thing. But if you only make it 30, 50 and you want more, if you want more, there's a process. Like I, I don't know if you listen to Gary Vaynerchuk. I listen yes. to Gary Vaynerchuk all the time. He's the most honest, direct, just do this, do this, do this, do this. He just pulls back the bullshit and you have to do what you have to do to make it. And I, I, I listen to him all the time. I think he's fantastic. I think he's right. Yeah, no, I, I, and I completely agree. And something that I've actually been in, being a foreigner into this country, I had to stay on my visa until I got married to get a job. I remember taking phone calls in the bathroom for my side hustle, you know, sneaking away to try and work on stuff. Uh, and it became tough and it did get to a point where it was too much uh, and you get that burnout. And that is the hard part you speak about. On a slightly different note, what's the same thing? It's interesting to me because I saw a stat very similar. I don't know what the statistic is, but there is actually less businesses today being started than were the word history. And you think with all the Instagrams and the TikToks and the all this live stuff that people are doing so well, but it's actually all fake. It's all crap. And you it's all crap. It's all crap. And but yet there is no. But there's so much more opportunities to do it so easily with the internet. Is what I'm probably get, trying to get at. And so I think the issue is combining with the social media and the instant gratification that people don't want to put in the hard yards and don't. And I talk a lot about on this show and when I'm interviewed on other shows, the mindset in which you have to have when you're wanting to build something of substance. People think it's going to take a year and you just be balling and you'll just be into some Maserati and killing it. It's going to take you a decade. And it's and that's okay that it takes you a decade, right? It doesn't, it's not instant gratification. What's that old saying? The overnight success that's been going for 20 years. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like it takes forever and it takes being part of your DNA to do it day in, day out, that those little steps each day over a period of five, six, seven years will get you to your goal. And and you if you have that right mindset on the front end, you won't give up after two years when you're like, well, I didn't, it didn't work after two years and I'm going to give up. Well, I did a podcast for six months and it didn't work and I'm going to give up. So I think that's where you're coming from, right? It would, it would be correct. Yeah. 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 And that's, it's, it's, so in my own, my own story, uh, you know, I started on the Wall Street firms and I built, I built a business that did million, million and a half in revenue, um, which means for a while there, I did, I did really, really well. Uh, and then, we made some business decisions and I had some partners and things imploded and that million, million, million and a half went to zero. Um, and then shortly thereafter, I got divorced. I, I got, I got huge. I got almost to 300 pounds. Um, I, uh, I, I drank a lot. Uh, you know, so, so you can do it one way and you can make a ton of money and you can destroy your life. And I've done that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you pick your, you pick the pieces up and you have to come up with a different way. Uh, and so that, that can definitely extend the 10 years to 20, 25 years. My, my story is right now it's at 25 years. Uh, and there was a point there in the middle where I was just, I 
I completely imploded. I blew everything up and I started from scratch. Um, and at that moment, the thing that helped me turn the corner wasn't finance. It's never a desire for money that helps you turn the corner. The thing that helped me turn the corner was a desire for health. In the process of trying to get uh, fit again, trying to get strong again, trying to get flexible again, trying to play soccer again, uh, in that process, it took like two and a half years for me to sort of recover my own health. But I was, I was exercising a muscle, and the muscle I was exercising was the discipline muscle, right? In order to lose weight, in order to, I had to lose 100 pounds. In order to lose 100 pounds, uh, 90 pounds, I exaggerate. Um, uh, in order to lose 90 pounds, you, you, gotta get a, you gotta pay attention every minute of every day to what you're eating, you have to exercise, you maybe have to take a second walk in the, in, you know, in the day, you have to do some exercise in the morning, do some exercise at night, pay attention to what you're eating, gotta stop drinking, can't have your ice cream, you have to constantly be aware and pay attention. So you're, you're, you're exercising both discipline, but your awareness. And if you can exercise discipline and awareness with smoking, with health, with finance, with anything, those things with your relationships, it, it undergirds your success. So if somebody, you know, I'm, I'm imagining some of your listeners aren't there and they don't know how to, what's that first step? I say the first step is get up at four, five thirty in the morning and exercise and do that every day for six months. And I, I, I bet that changes your life. I bet that changes everything. If you start really early morning and exercise, drink your water, you know, meditate, do things that are just quiet, reflect on what you're doing. I completely wholeheartedly and wholeheartedly agree with what you've just said there in terms of the burnout. And I've been there, right? I, I can definitely tell you that I've got to the point where I've had priorities and goals muddled up. And you see so many people where they have the different pillars in their life. So the health, the fitness, um, the relationships, the business, and they, they, they're only supported on one of the pillars, which more than likely at some stage was the business. And it sounded like you, for you, the business or the finance, and you get so caught up in it that when it goes away, the only direction you have to go is down because you don't have your health, you don't have your fit, you don't have your love in your life, which is your, your, your people support you. You don't have happiness. You don't have mindfulness and awareness. And so all of a sudden you, you hit rock bottom. And that for you sounds like exactly where you've been. And, and I haven't been to rock bottom, but I definitely have experienced issues where I put the business above my health or above the relationships that I have with my wife and making sure that you're a, uh, you're even spread across all of them because it, it doesn't, the business doesn't, or the finances don't define you, as you said, it's making sure your health is in it's both physical health and mental health. And that comes from, you know, spending time with your kids or spending time with your wife or going traveling or whatever it might be. And, and once you clear that up and the, the fogginess in your mind, it only allows for finances to come to you in, 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 bucket loads. And, and it sounds a little cheesy, but it is true. And, and I've got to the point in my life now where I focus a lot more on meditation, a lot more on my finance, a lot more on my relationships because I need to, because that's what the point of life is. It's about enjoying the journey. It's a not about 
oh, what, what's going to happen in 10 years' time, right? And, and it's about doing what you can do today to open doors. And don't get me wrong, you got to hustle and it's time for hustle, but there's also got to be time to turn it off and make sure you're spending your time with whatever it is, you know, on your health and you talk about getting up at 5 a.m. So I think around the philosophy of that, of being successful, it's success across a number of pillars, not just the one. And that's what I think we've really got to be focused on because sometimes we lose that with the Instagram worlds, with the social medias and the Instagram gratification. So um, yeah, any... Any feedback on that? Yeah, so it's it's so true. I have a I have a I have a 15 year old son, and I see him, you know, with his Snapchat and 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 the desire for it. We don't let him have Instagram, but he wants it. And I see him with it, and I go, you know, I want to open up these doors to you, but my fear in opening up the doors to you is that you will be overwhelmed, just as so many people are overwhelmed. Like there are nights still to this day. I'm very dedicated and very disciplined, but. If, if I'm watching, I love comedy. So if I'm on Facebook and I, and, I, and I see a comedian that I like, I'll watch a three minute video. But guess what? That three minute video is followed by another three minute video, which is followed by another three minute video. Which is <laughs> so I, go in, I get sucked into the hole too. I'm fully aware. Yeah. This is problem. Yeah. I'm fully aware I need my sleep and I know it happens every couple of weeks. I get sucked into the morass and I get, I'll spend two hours on a Facebook comedy loop and I'll go, God, I can't get up on that same time the next day. It blows a week. It just, you know, it's not worth it. How do you protect the next generation, 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds who've known nothing but social media mm. and this craziness? How do you protect them from this? You know, all of his friends have it. You know, Dad, you're a terrible father. You're not giving me access to this stuff. And I'm like, it's not good for you. It's not yeah. good. You don't know. You don't have yeah. the work ethic. You don't have the, the you don't have the to, to, to manage around it. And I don't know how you give it to them these days. It's so hard. No, it was, it, I remember growing up that I, I got my first, uh, f- not iPhone, my first phone at when I graduated high school at schoolies. And I remember calling my parents on it. And they just, it's been crazy, you know, how that, that, that changes over, over life. But I want to ask you before we wrap up the show here, what couple of pieces of advice do you have for the average person listening out there uh, in and around financial advisory today so they can start working on some of those takeaway tips from your book they can start doing today in order to planting those seeds for, for tomorrow? So I think, I think there's two really important things that people have to do. I think the first thing you have to do is uh, uh, they have to recognize what's important to them. And I know Gary Vee says, talks about this kind of stuff as well. I'm sure you guys, you, you think about it as well. In order to know, in order to sort of get closer to your happiness dividend, you have to know what things are going to get you closer to your happiness dividend. So you have to know what, not just what is worth pursuing. Cause there's a, you know, like you said, health, learning and experience, relationships, meaning, accountability, generosity, optimism, gratitude. These are all things that are, that are worth pursuing, but that's the general catalog of the stuff that's worth pursuing. Now, now that we know the list, what are the four or five things going to be critical for your happiness? And you have to figure out what those things are. And then you kind of have to build a plan that encompasses those things so that the activities you're pursuing aren't just for financial gain, aren't just mm-hmm. for, you know, meet my social media needs right now. Um, you, have to, you have to have a plan in place. So really, really go deep. Think about what's important to you. Put a plan in place that has a step-by-step, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. And if I get to this goal, I get a little reward for that. Like build those kind of things into it. Um, and then as much as possible, automate it. If you can automate it, then that frees you up and your time and energy to do other things that will support that plan going forward. 
Yeah, I think that's great. And I think the, the idea of micro-tasking or ta- creating, you know, you want to get to $1,000 a month in passive income. That's That might be the goal, right? Well, how do you break that up and make sure you're getting to step number one? What's that first step you got to talk? You got to do, and that takes each 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 person will have a different answer for that, right? It, it is most of it's around education, but also getting yourself out to networking events, surrounding yourself with other people that that you want to aspire to be in and around your financial freedom, in and around other freedoms in terms of your lifestyle and stuff. Like I know um, something that my wife and I have implemented on on every night. It's a daily gratitude for one another. You know, we we she's an entrepreneur as well. I'm an entrepreneur, and we run very crazy lives. And at the end of the night, through pillow talk, we just say, I see you and I hear you and I, I appreciate you doing X, Y, Z for the day. And that's that helps with the relationship piece of that pillar that I was talking about before. Because again, making sure you're checking in with people and not on the phone. I also have a, a rule in our household, no phones after 10 p.m. Right, you just get off it. You can't, you can't be on the phone because you go down that rabbit hole. So I love it. Mate, at the end of every show, we love to dive into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Sure, let's do it. Mate, what is a daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Uh, I guess the habit is the is the whole morning routine. I get up in the morning. I uh, I work out every single day. Uh, I first actually I meditate. Spend at least fifteen minutes on my kit, on my cushion, staring at the wall. You know, watching my thoughts go by, trying to pick the right ones to pay attention to. Uh, I work out. I cool off while I'm cooling off. I'm reading, and then by the time I'm cool enough, uh, I you know I've read probably an hour. Uh, and then I have breakfast, say hi to the kids, say hi to my my wife Kate, and then I, I'll shower and get ready for work. Nice, nice. I think it's uh, having that morning routine is so important. It helps set up the day in the right way. And it, it's, it's interesting you said before about how things in the day previous can ruin the next day. Oh, excuse me, ruin the next day. So, yeah. Uh, question number two is, who's the most influential person in your career to date? So if it's influential person in my life, I would say my parents, probably my, probably my dad. He's the guy I put on the pedestal. In my career, there's a, you know, he probably, he probably doesn't even know this, but there's a guy named Ernie Guzman and he was my manager at, um, oh my God, I think it was at Dean Witter when I first started. And I almost quit uh, in the financial services world multiple times. And he was the guy who took me to lunch and said, you know, Jonathan, why are you thinking that, you know, I see you're struggling with something, you know, what is it, you know, talk to me. And so I talked to him and, and he would say, well, okay. Uh, I, I think Jonathan that your, your purpose is weak right now. And he would explain to me his purpose. Um, and so it, he just taught me really early on in my career in financial services that you're per- you have to have a good purpose to pull through the crap. Because in, in our industry, if you, if you can imagine, I, this is my office was in, is in downtown San Francisco. There were, I think there were 97 brokers, all of whom were, were slinging stock and slinging crap. And planning was not part of the story. That's not, we, no one was planning. It was just how much shit could you sell? Um, and, uh, I, I got really fed up with that and he was like, okay, what is your purpose? And I said, well, I want to educate my clients. I want to take care of my clients. It's a client's clients. And he goes, okay, well focus on that. Ignore this other stuff that you have to do, do the steps, but remember what your purpose is and fulfill that purpose. And that really, I mean, Ernie Guzman, yeah, he gave me that lesson early on in my career. And I think that's the lesson that helped me pull through 25 years of this business. Right. I think that's incredible incredible piece of advice, particularly someone who's self-aware enough to even come up to you and see that you're struggling. That's a good leader, you know, and say, hey, let's go to lunch and tell me what's up. So 
Thanks, Ernie. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Ernie. Thanks, Ernie. Uh, question number three. In your daily business, what tool do you use on a daily basis in order to make sure the business keeps running? And when I say tool, it could be a physical tool like a phone or a journal, or it could be a piece of software that you just can't live without. What is it? So I, I, I absorb a lot of content, a lot of content. Uh, and so I think my newsreader, is that a weird, is that a weird response? Yeah, no, no, that's, that's a good one. That's I, have, I have a couple. I use a, I, I separate out, uh, I have Newsify and I think it's called um, Newsblur. So I have two different newsreaders. So Newsify mm-hmm. is my uh, financial economics, you know, all the blogs that I read on a regular basis every single day. And then in Newsblur, I've got things like relational things and health things. And, and so I, I kind of touch that one less frequently. Um, I, you know, Newsify is it every day, like two, 300 blogs I'm subscribed to and, 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 and you know the Cincinnati Fed and the and the Cleveland Fed and the New York Fed and the San Francisco Fed is all they all go all my data goes into there. And I, I couldn't I could not gather all this information on any kind of efficient manner without without my newsreaders. Love it, love it, mate. Question number four is: What is the biggest failure in your life, and what did you learn from that failure? The biggest failure. I got you know the implosion of everything in that four-year period that I kind of already mentioned, um, and out of that I learned that if I just focus on, if I just focus on my health, if I get if I take care of that 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 morning routine, that morning habit, if I keep doing that, everything else will fall into place. If I hmm. if I get up every day and I meditate, take care of my mental health, take care of my my emotional health, and I work out, and I read, everything else will fall into place. Love it. Love it. Uh, mate, mate, last question. Where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. Where do they go? The best place to go is to mindful.money. Uh, you can always just read the book, get that on Amazon, get that at your local bookstore. But the best place to go to be in the sphere, hear about the courses, you know, hear about the future events, all those kind of things is, is to go to mindful.money and subscribe. Cool. Awesome, mate. Well, look, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the show today. I just want to reflect some of the things that I took away from today's show. I think the happiness dividend was must be the, the number one thing that I, I think is really important. It seems to me that you have gone through some demons in your life in order to come out the other side with that word of happiness dividend and, and using those failures or those shortcomings or the getting to the bottom of the barrel and picking yourself up through your health and focusing on that one thing that you can control and letting everything else fall into place. I think that is super, super powerful and probably the, the number one thing I took away from today's show. Did, did I leave anything out? No, I think that's everything. Awesome, mate. Well, look, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the show. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up very, very soon. Thanks, Reed. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Jonathan. Remember to head over to his website at mindful.money and subscribe to what he has got going on over there if you want to learn more about creating a financial plan or any of the courses that he has over on his website. They are full of incredible content to help you plan for your financial future. I want to thank you all again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. If you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is give it a five-star review on iTunes tunes and we're going to do this all again next week so remember be bold be brave and go give life a crack